Picture this. You're driving on the open road, taking in the beautiful views this country offers. Then out of nowhere, you hear a noise and your car breaks down. While still frustrating, you feel protected because you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield has helped millions of drivers from having to pay back-breaking car repair costs. All you have to do is call before a breakdown. Plans can pay for expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. All for CarShield's low monthly rate that never goes up as long as you cover your car. With a plan through CarShield, you get protection on over 5,000 major parts and systems with just a visit to carshield.com Shapiro. I'm talking big money items like your transmission, engine, electronics, and so much more. CarShield is here to keep you moving forward and make car breakdowns and the repairs that follow just a tiny bump in the road. Go to carshield.com Shapiro. Protect yourself from the unprecedented rise in costs for parts and repairs. Visit now to save 20%. CarShield.com slash Shapiro. That's CarShield.com slash Shapiro. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to work in Congress, it turns out that there's another staffer filming gay sex tapes at the Capitol. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Lots of dysfunction between the sexes. Cameron Diaz wants married couples to sleep, not only in separate rooms, but in separate homes. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Uh, we will also get to the dysfunction within the sexes, I suppose, after another gay sex tape emerges in Washington, D.C. at the U.S. Capitol. I wish we didn't have to talk about that, but we do. And when you want to talk, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. Are you traveling for Christmas? If so, Pure Talk has you covered because they just added international roaming to over 30 countries. That's right. Whether you are making calls on a beach in the Bahamas, on the steps of Buckingham Palace, or at your villa in Santorini, you can dial away. Here's the best part. No rate increase. Pure Talk still saves the average family almost $1,000 a year with plans starting at just 20 bucks a month. Pure Talk is the gift that keeps on giving. They put you on America's most dependable 5G network. The coverage is second to none. Stop dragging your feet. Switch to Pure Talk, a veteran-owned wireless company with simply the best U.S. customer service team. Now, with international roaming to over 30 countries, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to make the switch. You will also save an additional 50% off your first month. That is puretalk.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to start saving on wireless today. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Last week, a staffer for some Democrat senator was caught filming. I think I'm the only show in America that did not post screenshots of this in his show or on his Twitter page. And I don't, no one needs to see the screenshots, but it was pretty gross. And uh, the staffer then said that he was being persecuted for who he loves. Uh, Of course, he was not being persecuted for who he loves. I'm not quite sure that what he was doing in that video would be described as love. Uh, He was certainly being persecuted for how he loves because that isn't love. And he's If he's trying to love, he's doing it the wrong way and definitely doing it in the wrong place. Where he loves, I guess, is another issue, namely the Senate Judiciary Hearing Room. So just a week after that, turns out there is another congressional sex tape involving a couple of fellas. Uh, This one apparently circulated on Snapchat last year. 
But for those of us who are are not in those circles, uh, we're only finding out about it now, conveniently after this other uh, sex tape. This is from the story of a user going by Adam J. Uh, court recordings of this were viewed by Semaphore and mercifully not by all of us. Uh, but Semaphore says that the videos featured a man inside a house office building uh, doing something alone. This is a family show. I'm going to try to clean it up. You know, uh, he was uh, doing what uh, Woody Allen referred to as uh, sleeping with someone you love. Uh, and, and then there was also another one with a dude, with two, two men uh, engaged in something unfortunate. Uh, the participants' faces are not visible in any of this material. And then on top of that, on top of that, a slightly different but still related scandal. Jill Biden's press secretary, Michael LaRosa, was just forced out of the White House after he apparently tried, quote, tried to take gay dates to his room on a secure floor of the hotel where the president was staying during a NATO summit in Madrid. So when we say dates, we're not talking about this is a, a man who had been cultivating some sort of relationship over some weeks and months. No, it was a guy who like went on an app or something or met a guy at a bar. And this, this press secretary for the first lady of the United States brings some random dude back to the secured floor where the president of the United States is staying uh, to go engage in uh, weird stuff that apparently happens in places other than the U.S. Capitol. I, I am calling for a complete and total shutdown of homosexual political staffers with iPhones until we figure out what the hell is going on, okay? I am a complete and total shutdown. We should not be reading this many headlines within the span of two weeks at very high levels of the government. That is really weird, man. What is driving this? This is completely insane behavior. Let's start with the most anodyne of the behaviors. This dude working for Jill Biden who decides it's a smart idea during a NATO summit. You're there working for the first lady. You're with the president. You're with the entire Secret Service. And you decide it's a good idea to pick up some random dude in a foreign country and go back and do creepy, weird stuff in your hotel room on a floor with the president. What, what kind of insanity would have to have taken over your mind and soul to convince you that was a good idea. You're going to give up a promising political career with one of the most enviable jobs in politics. You're working right there for the first family in the White House, and you give that up to do weird, creepy sex stuff with some rando Spaniard. What has to take over your mind? You, you've got a job in the U.S. Capitol working for a member of the House of Representatives or a senator, and you decide it's a really good idea to not only engage in creepy actions that would obviously be cause for immediate termination and actions which are in themselves extremely humiliating, but you're going to film it and send it around and you think that's going to be fine. No one's going to trace it back to you, even though you're on camera committing the actions. You, the, the guy who was working for the Democrat senator, he posted all sorts of weird, creepy sex stuff all over his social media, not only after he was hired, even before he was hired, he somehow still got the job. What is taking over these people's minds to convince them to do something not only that is gross and immoral, but it, that is just so stupid, that's so profoundly foolish, and that is guaranteed in, in the long run to lose you your job and career and to humiliate you at the national level. I'll give you the answer. I know exactly what it is. We've been talking about it for two weeks. It's porn. That's what's doing it to these people. That is what is melting these people's brains. And the reason I know that is because I read the mailbag. The reason I know that is I read s surveys and statistics on porn usage, which is 90% plus among men. 
because I read the statistics that show that the average age or the median age of first exposure to porn is something like 11. And then I read the mailbag and I hear from people, not only the libs who brag about how addicted to porn they are, but even conservatives who say I've been struggling with this since I was a kid or or a teenager. And it's really awful and I keep trying to fix it and I I can't. Most people are, are addicted to this stuff, at least among men. I hope not among women, but even the rates apparently of viewership among women have gone up. And it, it melts people's brains. It warps their perception of reality. It, like any drug, is, is just totally warping their, their risk analysis. Like a, like a crackhead who's trying to score, they, they totally ignore risk. They, they engage in reckless, dangerous behavior that almost always redounds to their disadvantage. And there's the, they're literally filming porn in this case. Right in the, in the case of these two dudes, the Senate guy and the congressional guy, they were the, the reason I know porn is at the heart of this is they weren't just engaging in creepy sex acts in the Capitol; they were producing pornography, and then they were disseminating that to other people. So it's not even that this was just uh, something they wanted to keep for their own posterity, you know, a little memento of of their romp at the Capitol. Part of whatever was driving them was the fact that they would be viewed by other people on a screen. How did this dude in NATO, how did this Jill Biden press secretary meet that random guy? Maybe they met at a bar, it could be. Statistically, though, what's most likely is they did it on one of these swipe apps. It's it's a major problem, okay, because it is causing people to become enslaved to one particular desire. You can easily become enslaved to any vice and sin. If, you, if you're a booze hound and, and you drink out of moderation, what happens? You think you're really free. You think you're really liberated. You can do whatever you want. But in the moment that you break those bounds of moderation, the moment that you engage in mortal sin and cultivate that vice, what happens? You become a slave. You become owned by that sin. You become a slave to booze. Or you could become a slave to drugs. Or you could become a slave to gluttony, to food. Or you could become a a slave to pride, to vanity. Or in this case, you become a slave to your lusts. And so you do things that any rational person knows is completely insane. You damage your life. You become a national laughingstock like all of these guys have. You lose your career. For what? to do some embarrassing, degrading action on camera for other people? How sad and how pathetic is it? How pathetic is it for us as a country that we have to talk about sex this much? The the libs will say, why are the conservatives so obsessed with sex? We're not the ones filming this stuff in the Capitol. We're not the ones picking up random dudes while we're press secretary for Jill Biden. We're not the ones changing all the sexual rules, trying to redefine marriage, trying to put dudes in the women's bathroom, trying to put porn in the hands of kindergartners. We're not doing that. We're the ones saying, hey, whoa, chill, man. It's the libs who are the aggressors in the sexual revolution. It's the libs who are the aggressors in the culture war. And it's pathetic. It's very shameful for them. And it's annoying for us that we, a once great nation, supposedly the global hegemon, have to spend all of our time talking about genitals. It's ridiculous. It's sad. It's pathetic. There are other things in the world. And if we want to be a great nation again, we're going to need to focus on some of those things. But you can't focus on those things when your brain is so melted by porn that that in, in our nation's capital, we have to spend our time investigating who is filming pornography in the Senate hearing room. Or we, we need to spend time investigating what really is a man and what really is a woman <laughs> so that we can have a national debate over whether dudes should be allowed into your little daughter's bathroom at a, at a public pool. Pathetic. 
No nation will be great if that is what we have to do. But, but the problem is you, you do have to address some of these things because if we don't understand basic facts of life, if we, if we can't agree on basic facts of human nature, we can't have a polity. We can't talk to one another. We can't deliberate. We can't even speak. We don't, we don't even speak the same language anymore. And if we don't overcome our most basic appetites and passions, then we won't be capable of rational thought or a rational will or being a great nation. Absolutely pathetic. Now, I'm hoping, I think I see a little glimmer of, of light here. And it actually comes to me via TikTok. Amazing, but all things can be used for good, I suppose, in some way. Uh, I think that the conservative consolation, which is that reality ultimately reasserts itself in the end, we're beginning to see this breakthrough in the form of a bisexual East Sider from Los Angeles, which we'll get to in one second. First, though, we need to take a break really fast to discuss the Breakfast podcast. There are a lot of podcasts out there. Most of those podcasts are people talking about their intimate lives, complaining about how America's racist or how religion is evil. Now, outside of The Daily Wire, it is tough to find creative, handsome podcasts that are both enjoyable and intellectual and extremely charismatic and even sexy, some would say. Well, luckily, there's a great new Catholic podcast that I just heard about. The podcast is called Breakfast and is the perfect mix of entertaining and spiritual Catholic content. Breakfast explains the Catholic faith through the prism of food, drink, landmarks, and architecture. The Catholic faith is so interwoven in our culture that we often don't even realize it. The word breakfast, for example, comes from Catholics breaking the fast after morning mass. Did you know sushi tempura has its roots in the Catholic faith? I didn't know that. Or how champagne was actually created by a Catholic monk named Dom Perignon. I assumed it was made by a priest named Father Cristal, but I was wrong. It's it's a monk named Dom Perignon. The show's creators saw the need for a podcast that is engaging and accessible to everyone of any faith or none at all. Breakfast is not just a random assortment of Catholic-related facts. It covers hard-hitting topics that will make you ponder the important questions. Each episode of Breakfast is around 20 minutes long. Super easy. Download it right now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A liberal, feminist, east side, bisexual gal has gone viral on TikTok for relating her shock, her awe at her own reaction to going on a date with a bro. I went on a date this week and I felt the feminism leaving my body. I live on the east side of LA and if you don't know what that means, it's sort of like the artsier part of LA, you know? It's, it's people say it's like Brooklyn and New York. Like, so I go on dates with a lot of men and women who, you know, live over here. There's always a negotiation about who pays and that's great. I like to pay for people, all that. But what I will say is that I sort of fell into going on a date with the most guys guy I've ever been on a date with. And he's from West West, you know, Santa Monica. He's a bro, right? <laughs> a guys guy is usually not my type. Like I cannot remember the last time that I went on a date with like a straight bros bro. You know what I'm saying? But it befell me. It befell me in an organic fashion. So I'm on this date with this guy. And the thing about a guys guy is he's putting his card down. He's paying for everything. And I really just 
it sort of activated something feral in me. I'm not gonna lie. He went to like another bar and he went, he was gonna go to the bathroom. So I was getting prepared to pay for our drinks because he's been paying all night. Of course, I'm gonna pay for the next round. But as he's going to leave for the bathroom, he turns to me and he hands me his credit card and he goes, here's my card, get us whatever. It might be time for me to get away from all these, you know, liberal snowflakes on the east side. I love it. I love this video. I love her take. There's a little touch of irony here when she uses that phrase at the end, these liberal snowflakes. But that little touch of irony is speaking to a big truth. And she's actually feeling it. And reality remains undefeated. Mm, love it. This is the this is the consolation for conservatives. The whole culture is against us. The principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places that rule this world, they're all turned against us all the time. But here's, but reality is still there. There is still an order to the cosmos. There is still justice. There, there is actually. And truth and goodness and beauty are not overwhelmed. They are not overshadowed. Reality remains undefeated. I love it. Think about this video. Some people are attacking her. Some very misguided conservatives are attacking this poor girl. I think I find her very charming. But they're attacking her because all she's saying she's happy about is that he paid for the date. She's not saying she liked the conversation. She's not saying he was good looking. She's not, she just, she liked that he paid for dinner. And when he went to hit the head, passed her his credit card and said, hey, could you order the next round of drinks? Get whatever. Oh, she's just a gold digger. No, no, no. This is a poor girl who deserves our sympathy and encouragement. And she's typical in this culture. Could you imagine, could you imagine for the, the normal people listening to this show, how far our sexual relations have fallen? I don't mean, you know, saucy stuff. I'm talking about actually how men and women relate to one another. That this woman for the first time in her life, perhaps, had a guy buy her a drink. And she's floored by it. This woman, what? she's in her 20s. I don't know how old exactly. A guy bought her a drink and she can't get over it. She has to take to the internet to explain to the masses what this unusual experience is like. This is baseline stuff. This guy did not lay his coat out on a puddle for her to walk over. This guy did not send flowers to her home or her office. This guy did not, I don't even know if he opened the door of the car. He just bought her some drinks and dinner. And she just melts. Of course she melts. This, this whole attitude, you know, I'm an East Side feminist. I live in Los Feliz, LA, whatever. I'm hip and cool. I'm kind of a lesbian, you know, like I'm cool. I was cool in college. I'm, I'm a lesbian. Like all, all of that goes away. And she, she's laughing about it, but of course it does. It's not even her fault. She probably went to some stupid liberal arts college that don't actually, doesn't actually teach you the liberal arts, that just encourages you to like wear silly sweaters and date all sorts of members of both sexes and study grievance and then move to LA and become whatever kind of artist she is. Okay, she had a disadvantage from the beginning. Is this the first time she's ever met some kind of finance bro wearing a, a Patagonia zip-up vest with some kind of button-down collar who, who even has a credit card? Is this, this might be the first time. 
that she hasn't met some guy who's just, you know, vaguely soy, kind of pumped full of estrogen, has an unkempt beard, and asks her to pay for dinner. This is, and so I don't, I don't knock her for it. She's discovered something new. And you know what? She, it's not that she's discovered the West Side guy with a job and a line of credit. It's not just that she's discovered a date, what a date is supposed to look like in the most basic degree. She's discovered reality. Just a little t- just a little hint of reality in a culture that has heaped mud and dirt and obscured reality. She's just seen like a little glimmer of it, and she's excited by that. And I'm excited by that too. I encourage her. That's great. Keep going. Keep going, lady. I'm I'm with you. I'm cheering you on. Now, turning back to Washington. And but but keeping on with women. Nikki Haley was asked point blank, will you consider being Donald Trump's vice president? Here is her non-answer. There's a talk about you as vice president, and I know what you're going to say. I don't play for a second. I got it. I've, I've seen the line, and it's authentic. I get it. But Ron DeSantis has ruled it out, says, no way, I'm not going to do it. Okay, are you going to rule it out? I don't play for a second. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. It's offensive when anybody says that, oh, you know, she wants to be vice president. You don't do something like this to be vice president. You don't sacrifice emotionally, mentally, physically, with your family, everything to come in for a second. That's not me. I've never done second a day in my life. I'm not going to start now. I'm doing this because we have a country to save. Everybody knows that our country is in disarray and the world is on fire. And I don't trust anybody else to fix it. And I'm determined to get that done. And we're going to get it done. And the people want us to get that done. You can feel it. And that's why you're seeing us move in the polls is because they're they're tired. With me, there's no drama. There are no vendettas. Mm -hmm. There's no whining. It's just work. It's what I've always done is work. But you're not going to rule it out because you're not going to rule it out. It's not even a conversation. And it doesn't matter what candidate wants me to answer it. I don't play for a second. I don't know what more I can say than than to get them to understand that. You could say no. (laughs) I mean, I really like Nikki. And this is probably the best answer she could give because the moment she says I would consider it, then it gives Trump an opening to attack her or it, it makes her look like she's not really running for the job. So she, she gave the politician answer that she, I guess, had to give. But the fact that she didn't say, no, I will not be Trump's VP, as DeSantis did, means that she would be Trump's VP. Of course, of course she would. But the reason this is a smart answer is Nikki knows that the only way she's going to be Trump's VP is to be strong. Nikki knows she's not going to be Trump's top choice as a VP because she worked for him and then she turned on him and then she cozied up to him again. And then she kind of, she said, I wouldn't run if he's running, but then she did run. And so she she knows that she's probably on the outs of Trump world right now. She's not going to be top of the list unless she can consolidate a large part of the GOP behind her. She's already starting to do that. She's got the Coke network. She's got, she's now running second and a pretty strong second in New Hampshire. She's getting the establishment types to start coming behind her. She knows that's her lane. It's not enough to put her over the edge. Not a chance. It's not even clear. Her surging in New Hampshire is still a country mile behind Donald Trump. But if she can amass the support of a large part of the GOP, want to say 30%, maybe, I don't know, 35% of the GOP, 40% would be amazing for her. But 30 or 35 would probably get it done, then you might be able to have like a Reagan-Bush type of situation 
where Reagan represents the conservatives, Bush represents the moderates and the establishment. They come together for a ticket to unify the party, and they win in 1980 and in 1984. Even though they came from totally different ends of the party, I don't think they liked each other very much. George H.W. Bush actually coined the term voodoo economics to make fun of Ronald Reagan's economic policy during the primary. It wasn't a Democrat who came up with that term, even though it's today used by Democrats. It was George H.W. Bush. But they came together to unify the party. I think that's what Nikki is trying to do here. But Nikki knows the only way out is through. She's got to go through this process. She's got to get DeSantis out of the race. She's got to get Christie out of the race. She's got to, Vivek probably doesn't matter. They hate each other so much. It's not as though getting him out of the race is going to help her numbers necessarily. But she's got to consolidate the anti-Trump vote. She's doing a pretty good job at it. Looks good for her. Now, when you want to look good, you got to check out Genucel. Right now, go to genucel.com slash Knowles today. There is a lot to be stressed about during the Christmas season. Stress and lack of sleep can easily cause those pesky under-eye bags. Good news is you never have to worry about that when you have Genucel skincare. From now until Christmas, Genucel's most popular package has a special discount just for our listeners at genucel.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Treat yourself and your loved ones to the absolute best skincare in the world. Those troubling forehead wrinkles, fine lines, skin redness, and sagging jawline will disappear right before your eyes with Genucel's most popular collection. Genucel promises immediate effects. You will see results in less than 12 hours, guaranteed, or your money back. Genucel made Christmas come early this year. They sent down a ton of products for the entire office. Everyone is raving about their under-eye cream. It works wonders, plus... Included in every most popular package is your free hyaluronic acid serum for skin hydration and restoration. You deserve to look and feel your best this Christmas season. Go to genucel.com slash Knowles right now. Get this incredible holiday discount. Every order instantly upgraded to a free express shipping. Genucel.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, today. My favorite comment yesterday is from Kila Copriva6746, who says, I love how they say, stop breathing or you will die. But I feel the best response to that is, okay, you first. Uh, right. Of course, when the environmentalists say, your breath is destroying the world, you've got to stop breathing. You say, okay, you first. When they push for assisted suicide, you say, okay, you first. When they push for abortion, you say, okay, well, you're a former fetus, you first. When they talk about overpopulation, you say, okay, there's too many people, you, you, you deal with it. You take the first step, then, then we'll hear about this. But it's never about them. The overpopulation always means that there are too many of the other guy. <laughs> it's the, the, the importance of abortion is always that someone else's kids needs to go. Not them. Not them. Speaking of the likelihood or unlikelihood of a Trump presidency, distressing new poll out of YouGov America finds that most Americans approve of Donald Trump getting kicked off the ballot in Colorado. There's a new poll found that 54% of Americans approve of kicking Trump off the ballot in Colorado. That includes 24% of Republicans. So there you have it, by the way. There is that anti-Trump lane. 24% of people, 24% of Republicans would happily go to any non-Trump candidate, whether that's going to be DeSantis, whether that's going to be Nikki Haley, whether that's Chris Christie, whoever, they just hate Trump that much. And then the non-Trump candidate might be able to pry away another 5%, another, maybe even another 10%. Almost a quarter of Republicans happy that Trump has kicked off that ballot. And most Americans. That's bad. Democracy will not work under those circumstances. It can't. I don't think that anyone is particularly interested in democracy working at this point. 
The Democrats obviously are not. They hate democracy, and that's why they're kicking Trump off the ballot, because they don't think that people ought to have the right to vote for the popular candidate. They've made their opposition to democracy very, very clear. Even a lot of Republicans, though, the Republicans are much more in favor of democracy than the Democrats are, but Republicans wisely have, have shared the fears of the founding fathers, which is that democracy can decay into mob rule very, very quickly. And for most of history, it's been considered not the best, but the very worst form of government. Now, it has worked more or less well in America at different times, but democracy requires that, that both sides respect the right of the other to have a chance at winning elections, that both sides accept that the other is politically legitimate. So even if we lose, it's okay, the system endures, or even if we win, we're not going to be imprisoned, right? or well, we're not going to be prevented from winning, we're not going to be prevented from taking office, whatever. And, and we don't really have that. The Democrats were the first to chip away at that, very clearly. They've, if you just look at elections in the last hundred years, they are far and away the more likely to deny elections and to, you know, profane our sacred temples of democracy or whatever. But Republicans, to some degree, too, are skeptical of these things. Like in 2020, when the Democrats changed all the rules to favor them in the weeks and months before the election, in some cases, unconstitutionally, like in the case of Pennsylvania, we're a little skeptical of the elections now, too. But in any case, if most people believe that it is acceptable or preferable or downright good for some partisan appointed or elected official to keep a popular candidate off the ballot, to prevent the people from voting for the candidate of their choice, democracy is not long for this country, which is, is natural. I mean, Poly Polybius, the ancient political writer, talked about this many moons ago. Regimes decay. There are good kinds of regimes, monarchy, aristocracy, and democracy. There are bad kinds of those same type of regimes, which would be tyranny, oligarchy, and mob rule. And the regimes, as they decay, they transform one into the other. We might be transforming now, and it, it might be inevitable. You know, the Roman Republic transforms into the Roman Empire. And in our modern Republican and Democratic age, we, we look on this as a very terrible thing. Caesar, for the, for the first time in history, really, has been cast as the bad guy in that exchange. But if you think Julius Caesar is bad, just wait until you hear about the Roman Senate. <laughs> if you think the Roman Empire is bad, just wait until you hear about the late-stage Republic. Things had gotten really bad and decadent and debauched, and the people had very little say in their government, and there was very little accountability. And that's, that's what brought on the political conditions for that kind of change. Well, if we keep seeing polls like this, there's going to be a political change here in the U.S. as well. Uh, Speaking of the presidency, this is a big story that no one's heard about. Washington Post is reporting that the FBI has James Biden, this is Joe Biden's brother, on tape negotiating business involving his brother, the president of the United States. The FBI has these tapes, so which means that they were spying on the guy, which means that they've been investigating them for a long time. The FBI, which initially denied Hunter's laptop, which has carried water for the Democrats, we're now finding out now they, they know what's going on with the Biden family. They, we know that the Biden business earned 24 million bucks between 2015 and 2019. Is that for James Biden's expertise? Is that for Hunter Biden's expertise? I don't think so. Business used more than 20 shell companies. Sounds pretty dodgy to me. Not very straightforward business. And associates sold the Biden brand. What does this tell us? Doesn't tell us anything new about Biden. We knew all this stuff. Tells us a little bit about the FBI. Tells us a little bit about the American deep state. 
which is just another term for the liberal establishment, the entrenched bureaucracy. We know that the Washington Post is mobbed up with intelligence. We've known that since Deep Throat and, and the Nixon tapes, the Watergate scandal. Washington Post got this story from intelligence, obviously. Tells you one of two things. Either the story is legit, probably is, because we know about Joe Biden's corruption. We have the receipts. Or, at the very least, it tells you that the intelligence agencies want people to believe that the story is legit. The intel agencies are not in the business of protecting Joe Biden anymore. That's what it tells you. Either way, very, very bad news for Joe Biden. Either he's, he's associated with these crimes and it looks bad for him and his family, or the intel agencies, which, to quote Chuck Schumer, can get you nine ways from Sunday, they've turned on Biden. They don't like him anymore. Speaking of the establishment papers turning, the, the New York Times is turning on Claudine Gay, who's the Harvard president. So the Harvard president, you know, has plagiarized everything up to and including thank you notes for coming to dinner. And uh, Harvard tried to dismiss this. The woman has basically no academic record. She has 11 published papers. It's pathetic. It's nothing. But I think everybody knows why she is in that position, why the white lady who was running UPenn was fired for saying exactly the same thing that Claudine Gay, a black lady, said before Congress on the same occasion. But Claudine Gay gets to keep her job because she checks some DEI boxes. Well, now all of a sudden, the media, which had been quiet about this, starts reporting. New York Times, Harvard finds more instances of duplicative language in the president's work. She's faced growing criticism, not only of her response to anti-Semitism, but also her scholarship. This is great. Why, why is the establishment going after Claudine Gay now? I think in part it's because these New York Times writers and editors don't want their degrees to get watered down. <laughs> the, the, the press used to be run by ordinary, normal people. It was kind of a blue-collar job, you know, shoes on the pavement, tracking down a story. In recent years, it's become a, a very elite job. And the people who fill up the New York Times offices now are graduates of places like Princeton and Stanford and Yale and, yes, Harvard. And I think some of them don't want their alma mater to become a laughingstock because they want that degree to continue to carry prestige. Uh, also because of the dogged work of Christopher Rufo, the right-wing think tanker and journalist, and more than anything, perhaps political operative, who's really, really pushed this story. Keep the pressure up. This is a great new phase in the war on Harvard. Uh, it looks like we might be able to claim this political scalp. Now, we've reached my favorite time of the week, which is the mailbag. But first, I got to tell you about a new kids entertainment company that has made Saturday mornings great again with brand new episodes of kids shows on Bent Key. We brought back Saturday morning cartoons. Tomorrow morning, get ready for 17 new episodes premiering on Bent Key, including Mabel McClay, a fun throwback to Mr. Rogers, along with new episodes of Clangers, Yeti Tales, Runes, Truck Games, How Ridiculous, and more. It's 100% ad-free. Speaking of free, you can unlock all that Bent Key has to offer with a free 14-day trial. Simply use the code UNLOCK when you sign up at bentkey.com to start streaming today. You won't want to miss the Gus Plus Us Christmas special streaming now exclusively on Bent Key. If you're not a Bent Key member yet, this is your invitation to try Bent Key for free. That's right. Just in time for Christmas, we are giving everyone a 14-day trial of premium kids content, Bent Key. Unlock the new adventure in kids entertainment today, bentkey.com. Code unlock. Code that you need to start your 14-day free trial is unlock. Before I get to the mailbag, I have to hit this story from Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz just came out 
and said, we need to normalize couples sleeping not only in separate bedrooms, but in separate homes. And everyone has been dragging her for this. The only defense I want to make of Cameron Diaz here is that aristocrats have been doing this forever. Aristocrats have been sleeping in separate bedrooms forever. The royal family sleeps in separate bedrooms. The queen, Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip would sleep in separate bedrooms. There's something to that. I think where the the disconnect is here is that uh, people sleeping in separate homes is a a little bit clinical. I'm reminded of a line from Robert Frost, which is uh, from a poem, Departmental. The line is, uh, it couldn't be called ungentle, but how thoroughly departmental. And what this comes from, I suspect, is not an old aristocratic sense that we want to have our proper spaces and, you know, be together in this very well-ordered, uh, high-class kind of um, schedule. But it comes from a demand for individualism. You know, it actually comes from the, totally the opposite. The, the old aristocratic uh, order for sleeping and behavior and living came from the notion that we don't have really very much privacy, that everything is sort of public, and we don't have a ton of individualism that we express however we please, but we have duty and we have honor and we have to behave in a certain proper way. We have to wear certain clothing and eat dinner at a certain time and behave in a certain way with members of the opposite sex, up to and including our spouse. What Cameron Diaz is talking about here is expressive individualism, which is I want my own space, I want my own thing, and and maybe my husband can come and visit me when it's convenient for me. That probably not a great idea. Separate bedrooms can be nice because you, our spouses always steal the sheets. But uh, uh, if, if one had to choose, I think it's probably good to cuddle up next to your honey and uh, tamp down the individualism that threatens to destroy our civilization. This mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, to save an additional 50-50% off your first month. Take it away. Hello, Michael. You talk a lot about practicing virtue on your show for good reason. I have developed a lot of bad habits over the years, and no matter how hard I try, I always seem to fall for temptation. Whether it's too much TV or mindless internet scrolling, anger, impatience, selfishness, and so on. I will do good for a short period of time, then always fall into these vices again. It seems that I'm either doing really well or doing really bad. There's really no in-between. My question is, do you believe change is really possible? I pray and go to confession, but I just always seem to fall back into these bad habits. I really want to change, but I feel that at this point, I'm just damaged goods and have little to no hope left. And I know one shouldn't despair, but I always seem to just lose control at some point and plunge headfirst into these vices. I hope you can offer some advice and thanks for all you do. And may God bless you and your family. Very kind. Thank you. Uh, I don't want to hear, I know one shouldn't despair, but. I don't want to hear the but. No buttheads around here. Okay, yes. Do not despair. It's a sin. Hope is a theological virtue and something you are commanded to do. So cut it out. Okay. Uh, Yes, you're, you're committing all sorts of sins and vices and you fall into it. You mentioned confession. So I'll give you a more robust mackerel snapping papist take on this sort of thing. Avail yourself of the sacraments and confession is very important. Uh, make sure you're having, you're giving a good confession. The number of times you commit a certain sin, the severity of the sin, there's details, specifics about the sin. Uh, the reason to do that is, well, one, you don't want to commit sacrilege by hiding something. You don't want to just be totally vague and then just go along committing all the sins forever. Be very specific about it. Also because we believe, Catholics believe, Christians believed for 
All Christians believe for a very long time, and most Christians still today believe, that there are different kinds of graces. There's sanctifying grace, which is active within our souls. This is what we talk about when we say we're in a state of grace. When we commit a mortal sin, which is a sin that is grave and deliberate, you know, a sin that involves a, a conscious choice and an action of our will, then we sever our sanctifying grace, and, and then we're really lost, and then it becomes much easier to just fall into those habits. You say, once you start doing some bad stuff, then you end up going really far, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. Uh, right, that, that's because you've severed that, that kind of grace. Uh, so you need to go to the sacraments to restore that, uh, like the laundromat for your soul. Uh, but, but there's another kind of grace, which is actual grace, which, is, which refers to acts. You know, you think of actual grace. Uh, that doesn't come from within you. That comes from God, and it's, it's God giving us the grace to overcome whatever trials are before us totally outside of ourselves. So a good example of this is Saul on the road to Damascus gets knocked off his horse. That would be a pretty clear example of actual grace. And you can request that of God. And if you avail yourself of the sacraments and you have sanctifying grace, then you, you can perhaps remind God, you're really just reminding yourself, but but you can articulate this, that that God promises you the, the grace to overcome these habits and these, these vices and sins. Uh, some more quotidian kind of advice for this if there's a sin that you commit regularly, you know, you uh, doom scroll when you're sitting on this one part of the couch, don't sit on that part of the couch. If you get really, really angry uh, be, when, I don't know, when your wife does something that you observe, then don't be in the room when she does that thing or politely ask her not to do that or something, whatever it is, whatever sets you off. Don't put yourself in the near occasion of sin. You, you by, by doing so, you are in in large part, culpable for then falling into the sin. Uh, and, and just avail yourself of those sacraments and be very clear and pray all the time. You know, prayer is not a last resort. It's a first resort, as my friend Father, Father Benedict Keeley points out. So pray. You know, when you, when you would otherwise be sinning, you pray. Pray a rosary. You know, I'm not saying it's easy. V virtue is difficult to cultivate. Vice is easy to cultivate and hard to fall out of. And... You can't do it on your own anyway. You know, you, you, you actually do need graces, sacramental and actual. So you, you are availing yourself of them to some degree. Uh, do it more so, and then don't despair. I don't, I don't want to hear, I know we shouldn't despair, but. Nix the but, that's a good first step. Next question. Hey, Dr. Kofefe, quick question for you. My wedding's coming up on January 6th. And I had a quick question for you. Uh basic question is, do you have any advice for a newlywed couple? Thanks. Love the show. I, well, my advice would be to take the wedding seriously, and you already are, because you've picked a hilarious date for your wedding, so clearly you are being intentional about it. Yes, my advice is actually first pertaining to the wedding that you, you recognize that the wedding is your first act as a married couple. It's going to set the tone for your marriage. So if, if the way you're treating your wedding is, oh, my wife is just going to do everything and I'll just show up maybe on the day, I, I don't know that that's a great way to start your marriage. I'm not saying you're doing that, but I know a lot of people do. If your wedding is, oh, well, I'll let my mother-in-law do everything. I don't know. Is that how you, do you want, do you want your mother-in-law doing everything in your whole marriage? Probably not. That would be my first advice. Drew gave me two pieces of good advice when I got married. First one is to have a good marriage. Don't sleep with other people. Step one. Step two, throw feminism out the window. 
Just throw it out. It's bad. It's poison. It's totally fake. It will make both of you miserable. Throw that out. And, you know, just be normal. How's that? Next one. Good morning, Michael. This is Arun. So I am an assiduous follower of your Instagram feed, and therefore I can wish you uh, a happy return to the United States after your time in India. You seem to have a great time there. By the way, you uh, rocked a kurta. And uh, I have a question for you based on your recent travels to my ancestral homeland, uh, sadly also the ancestral homeland of uh, Kamala Harris, but you know, let's not talk about that maybe. Uh, I am curious if you share my particular vice for American fast food in India. Mm. Now, I know that this is probably blasphemy against the culinary gods, right? I mean, when in Rome do as the Romans, when I go to India, I should be eating Indian food. And, and to be clear, there is a lot of excellent food in India that is native to India. But as you've probably noticed, everything in India just tastes better. I, I can't explain it, but that appears to be the case. And that includes the American fast food, in my experience. You know, I love going to McDonald's and having uh, their aloo masala burger, uh, especially since, you know, I'm a Hindu Brahmin and therefore don't eat any meat. Uh, that's the only time I can have uh, a burger at McDonald's. Uh, you know, Burger King has this, this great uh, paneer tikka burger. And Pizza Hut has a paneer masala mm. cheese pizza. It's, it's just unlike anything you'd ever get in the United States. And I am curious uh, if you have engaged in any kind of foray into American fast food in India. And, and of course, because this is the Michael Knowles show, I have to ask a philosophical question as well, a, a moral question, really. And that is, do you think that it is right to go to another country and eat American fast food instead of indulging in their cuisine and experiencing it firsthand? I'm curious as to your thoughts on the matter. Thank you, as always, for your wisdom. Yes, I think it's a good thing to do that. I did not have enough time on this trip to India to indulge in McDonald's and Pizza Hut there, though my Indian buddy assured me of this very same thing. He said, he said, McDonald's in India is amazing. You could, you could take a woman on a date there. You know, it's really, McDonald's in India is delicious. Fast, Pizza Hut, same thing. Uh, I didn't have time to do it. We were, it was we were kind of a busy trip, I, obviously trying to pursue my dream of being a sitarist. But I think it's, I think it is good. I, my stepbrother, will, he travels all over. He will send me pictures of him eating Burger King in different countries because it's, it's enlightening in that you are learning something about the culture there. Even, even in their interpretation of American fast food, you are learning something not about America necessarily, but about that indigenous culture. So I think it's great. You should try the, the local fare too, but trying American fast food in other countries is a great little trick of travel. Okay, next question. Hey there, Smokey Mike. I've come onto an idea that I think many would consider to be too anachronistic, but I think in principle is perfectly reasonable. I think that dueling should be legalized. And though I do think it should be constrained by the legal system and there should be standards applied to it, I do think that the satisfaction of a duel at least certainly to the first blood, maybe not to the death, is perfectly justifiable if there are legal constraints put on it and it doesn't devolve into vigilantism or other chaotic and unjust violence. I do think that if there is reason and justice applied to a duel, it could be perfectly reasonable and just. And I do think that, well, I certainly don't believe that there is a political will to have any change in this direction. I do think that dueling should be legalized. 
anyway, I was hoping I could get your thoughts and thank you. I'm afraid I have to disagree because you say you don't want it to devolve into vigilantism. It, it is a type of vigilantism. It, it, it is taking the satisfaction of justice outside of the civil authority. So that's why dueling has always been illegal. And even where dueling itself is not illegal, it, the, the consequences of dueling are illegal. You know, killing someone, attacking someone, that has always been illegal. So it was always outside of the justice system. Uh, and it would be very difficult to circumscribe dueling, as you, as you say, you know, to first blood, but not to death. Well, what if you just shoot the guy? <laughs> you blow his head off. You say, there's the first blood. Oops, guess that led to death too. I, I would not recommend that. I, I do think we should have a culture of honor, and I think people should be more polite, and they should be worried. You know, if you walk up to someone in a bar and insult his mother, uh, you should <laughs> you should expect to, uh, you know, not just get a stern talking to as a consequence of that. But uh, no, I wouldn't recommend getting rid of the legal system. Okay, I want to get to one written mailbag before we get to uh, the member room segmentum. This is from Jess. Hey, Michael, is believing in racial stereotypes inherently racist? Not the modern definition of racist, but the traditional one. When I say stereotypes, I don't mean condescending ones. For example, black people are athletic and Jewish people are financially responsible. Thanks. Uh, no, it's not. I guess it's technically racist in the sense that it acknowledges distinctions between races of people. Uh, but it's not racist in the sense that it's not evil or cruel or you know unjust or anything like that. All stereotypes are true. This is, I guess this is sort of politically incorrect. You're not allowed to say it today. But it's, it's just a truism. All stereotypes are true. That's how they became stereotypes. <laughs> okay? It doesn't mean that uh, one ought to deny people's individuality. It doesn't mean that we ought to treat people unjustly based on a stereotype. But stereotypes are true because, or stereotypes are, are around because they are true, because they speak to something that is true. So there's nothing wrong with that, whether it's the positive ones or the negative ones or whatever. That's not, what would be wrong would be to treat someone unjustly based, based upon your preconceived notions of his race or, or any other category that he falls in. But to say, uh, no, no, no stereotypes are true. Oh yes, no, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, the, the Vietnamese are just as good at basketball as African American people are. You know, of course, what are you talking about? No, no, no. What do you mean? No, of course, this race or that race. No, of course, all stereotypes are true. Of course, it's okay. You're, you're allowed to say it. You were allowed to say it even 20 years ago. I don't know if you're allowed to say it anymore, but we still say true things. I think it's good to say true things. I think clarity is charity, as a pal of mine says. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. If you are not a member, then I suppose this is the last time I'll, I'll be chatting with you before Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So I hope you've all had a blessed Advent and have a very Merry Christmas. And if you are a member of the Creme de la Creme Membrum Segmentum, I'll see you in just a moment. 